Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Shavua Tov! And welcome back to another interesting questions. We are up to Pirkei Avot, chapter 2, Mishnah Yudbet, Mishnah 12. And it says, Hu Haya Omer. He used to say, meaning that we are talking about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So he used to say, If all of the sage of, his, of Israel were on a scale, and Eliezer ben Hurkanus was on the other side, he would outweigh all of them. Abba Shaul Omer Mishmo. Abba Shaul used to say in his name, if all of the uh, wise men of Israel were on one side of a scale, for Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkanus af imahem, and even if Rabbi Eliezer ben Herkanus was with them, for Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach bekafshniya, and if Rabbi Eliezer ben Arach was in the other side, machriat kulam, he would outweigh all of them. So, Akiva, I don't think they're just talking about the girth of these rabbis. I think they are using this as a metaphor to talk about their rabbinic abilities and intelligence. And so this brings up a whole slew of questions that I want to ask you, and I'll let you take them. I'll throw them all out there, and then I'll let you take them in whatever order you want, and you can choose if you want to throw some of them back to me. So the first question I want to ask is... This seems a little bit like playing favorites, right? And if your students, I was always told your students should be like your children, right? Your children are like your students, or you should treat your students like your children. Is it okay to have a favorite child? Is it okay to have a favorite student? Or maybe it's just human nature that we like some people over other people, we connect with them, and therefore that's why we end up having favorites. Right? So is it okay for a parent to have a favorite? Is it okay for a teacher to have a favorite? So that's sort of one set of questions. Another set of questions goes to this idea of if they are this highly intelligent, right? We can, I'm making an assumption here that this is about intelligence as opposed to work effort, though it may be connected to that as well, right? But, but this productivity that these, that these, particular rabbis were, were supposed to have had, how does that play itself out in terms of their ability to do this versus uh, some people don't have such natural ability when it comes to memory, when it comes to intelligence? How much of that is grown and how much of that is natural ability and is it okay if it is natural ability to laud someone for it versus saying, hey, he was born with natural ability, whether it be intellectual, whether it be uh, physical, 
And so that's great and that's nice, but it's not as impressive as somebody who has built their abilities from scratch. So I'm going to throw some of those back to you and let you uh, answer those. I just want to make sure I understood each of your questions. The first one is, can you play favorites with your children and or your students? And the next question was, uh, should we value someone who works hard to improve at something more than should we value that which is natural innate ability? And furthermore, in that same vein, I think you were also asking about maybe what things should be expected to be natural innate ability, but I'm not sure if I'm reaching too far for that third piece. Did I understand everything correctly? I think you're on a good track. Let's start with those. Okay, so can you have a favorite child or a favorite student? Well, you know what? Um, you know, Avi... Our families don't listen to this podcast, so perhaps we can be as honest as necessary. Avi, who's your favorite child? Go. They are all different and unique, because I hope that someday they may actually listen. Uh, so you heard it, green children. Uh, your father said it himself. He gave a fake answer, because you might listen at some point. Uh, but the fact is, is that I think that it is very normal and very natural to have favorites in different ways. I think that it plays very well in with the what are the different skill sets that people bring to the table. Because, you know what? I bet that if we're not talking about children, let's say we're talking about students, I bet that you can look through your teaching career and think of a number of different favorite students. Maybe they were the favorite for that subject. Maybe they were the favorite because they gave you a certain level of challenge and let you see what you're capable of. Maybe they were a favorite in that they got the material or they asked poignant questions. I think the list goes on ad nauseum. And I think that with children, it's the same thing. You might have multiple children, but you could have one who's got the best hugs, and maybe one has the brightest smile, and one just brings a smile to your face. And, and again, different characteristics of those children are different favorite pieces, right? Just like, I, I'm guessing, do you have a favorite right? wife, Avi? Yes, I do have a favorite wife. She's my one and only. Ah, good answer, good answer. But again, she doesn't listen either. So, um, I, I think, well. yeah, yeah, no, fair point. Uh, but I think that, right, all of those are very different pieces. And, and really, the problem with the term favorite is it implies one, right? And I have this conversation with people on multiple levels, and I've made several people, you know, have to think twice when I bring up the point about people using the term best friends as plural. Well, we know that the term best implies one, singular, only, best friend. You cannot have plural best friends. 
You can, however, have a variety of close friends who have different attributes that are most helpful to you in certain situations, thus implying that they are the best in a certain circumstance. Again, I think all of those pieces apply, and I think it's very important, and I think that instead of parents being made to feel guilty about who their favorite is, uh, not that I'm condoning picking favorites in any way, I think that if we give it more of an honest look, we probably see that there's different things that we love most about different people in our lives, just like those of us who have been fortunately and unfortunately in more than one relationship can think back to the good things and the bad things of every one of those including the one we are currently in and nobody is perfect nobody should be made to feel like they should be perfect it's a multitude of different constructs that we build off of and work on that relationship i think that when it comes to the second point the question about whether innate ability is less or more valuable than someone who works hard at something, again, that's different, right? So you might have someone who has an innate athleticism about them. They pick up a sport, they play it no problem, doesn't matter if it's with a ball, with a bat, with a racket, with a glove, with their feet, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's in the pool or in the air, I don't know if acrobatics would be considered to be a sport, but let's go with yes. Um, so, so I think that there's something to be said for having that innate ability. And we do want to foster that, and we do want to push that, because that's, you know, if we look at who probably our most famous and major athletes in different fields are, not only did they all start probably at a very young age, I don't think anybody's ever said, you know, my kid didn't touch a football until they were 17, and, you know, they just picked it up right away, and, and that's it. That was the story, right? They all started at a young age. Uh, someone saw something in them that was a skill set with which they chose to push and foster and and fertilize and grow, and... Whether or not there's an innate ability, they still grew from there. And there's something to be said for that level of determination. I think that perhaps the piece that you're getting at might be more of the question about squandering ability. You know, somebody who has a gift, who can pick up a book, pick up a, any, any, any sefer, any chumash, anything, and quote and understand uh, Dafs of Gomorrah without any guidance who can get what, what our Chachamim were trying to say and, and poured sweat over for, for months and, and years sometimes to find an acceptable answer. Someone who can open up and just see that right away and go, oh yeah, I, I get that. And then chooses perhaps to not ever learn. That I think is a different situation entirely. Uh, that I would say is a tragedy. And and it's a tragedy not because, just because that's their ability means they should feel relegated to only doing that thing, but rather it's a tragedy because all of these different skills can be transposed into other areas, right? And we, and we figure this out often when, when we're looking at people's careers. You know, maybe they were working in one area their entire life and they say, well, you know, I think I want to do something different, but, but how can I start over now? I'm you know, in my mid-40s, and I think it's time to just be 
you know, thinking more about an exit strategy than a, than a starting over again. And, and oftentimes it's not a starting over again. It's a figuring out what are your skill sets and where do you translate them into new areas. So that person who has the innate ability to pick up any, any Gemara and open up a page and understand everything that was being said and, in fact, come up with even more uh, Shilas and even more Kashas and, and come up with the answers as well. Maybe that's somebody who has a different, who has that skill set, who can use it in a different area, and maybe you don't want to see them squandering that gift, even if it means that they're not using it in that particular area. I also think that someone who has to work really hard at something, yes, they should absolutely be commended for their efforts. And at the same time, you know, I can flap my arms as hard as I want and I can work really, really hard at it. Um, I dare say I can even lose 90% of my body mass and I still won't be able to fly no matter how hard I flap. And I could keep pushing and trying and doing the best I can to work on that as a goal. Or I can say, you know what, it's never going to happen and maybe I need to put my efforts in elsewhere. And I think sometimes that's a question that comes up when we're thinking about uh, innate skill versus determination and you know, maybe helping to, to nudge that person in a direction that gets them to do what really they will shine at because everybody really does benefit from seeing what they're good at. And with that, I'm going to throw the question back to you, Avi. I want to know when you have a student who really just doesn't seem to get it, uh, how, do you, how do you handle that? How do you work on that knowing that I, I do think that sometimes you have to, you know, judge them in a different direction that lets them see where they can shine? So I think that there's two different answers to that, to the student who doesn't get it. Is there the student who doesn't get it yet? And this is something they really need to know. And so you work with them and you try to explain it in different ways and you recognize that some students really need to have an experience to be able to understand it as opposed to just have someone say it to them. Some, some students need to engage in the work so that it's relevant um, one of my favorite quotes was from a friend who said that if they had put a dollar sign in front of every math problem, he would have been a much better student, uh, at least at math. Um, and so, you know, you try and find what interests that, that student. Uh, this year I was teaching a class, a social studies class, and the student said, I, I don't even understand why I need to know this. It doesn't interest me. I said, well, what does interest you? We were learning about the American Civil War. And she said, well, I'm really into romance novels. I said, oh, there is no greater romance novel than the Civil War, right? Husbands and wives who are separated, siblings who are on opposite sides of the same war. It's all a big romance novel. And she was like, really? I said, yeah. And from that point on, I think it has less to do with her, her change of of state of mind in regard to the American Civil War, but she recognized that I was interested in her and in what she cared about, and so she wanted to build that relationship with me through the material. And so by taking an interest in the student and finding out what they really care about and you know, building 
building them up, then you have the opportunity to turn and say, okay, you know, how can I help you do this? Now, there are some students who just don't have the capability, either at that point in their lives or possibly ever. Um, and I think for those students, we have to be realistic about what expectations we set for them. We can still set high standards, but it has to be in a way that allows them to find success because nothing is more demoralizing than being asked to do a task that you can never actually accomplish. And so over and over again, I think it's about setting high expectations that are also realistic, right? The same thing we would sort of do for ourselves and then trying to make those happen. And so that's the way I would, I would uh, address it. Avi, I have to say, I really appreciate that answer. Um, at the same time, I'm looking at this specific Mishnah, and then I'm looking down for any commentary on it, and there isn't any. And so I guess when I think about what belongs in a Mishnah, aside from Yud and, and Yud Aleph, which, again, were basically, he had five students, and that was an entire Mishnah. Uh, the fact is, is that I do think that when you're putting something into a Mishnah, it should probably have some, some deep meaning and some deep value to it, possibly requiring some level of commentary, possibly not needing to be either a rabbi with an educational doctorate and a psychiatrist being able to read into these things. And, and I'm just looking at why this came to be because it really does come off as simply saying, hey, there are some really good students and one of them is better than everybody else. And another one is even better than that one, which, and, and that's it. No commentary, no nothing, no, no any more value put in there. So if you were just anyone who was standardly reading Pirkei Avot, trying to get the, 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 the thoughts and the words and the, and the values of our fathers, and, and all you read was, hey, there's some guys that are really way better than everybody else. Where's the value in this? So I think there are two components to Pirkei Avot that come from those, these last few Mishnayot. One is there is a historical component, right? We know that it starts off with everything being handed down from one to the next to the next. And here, too, we're talking about the five students that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had. And so there's a historical component to this. The other is there is a benefit, and I may throw this back to you at the end, but I believe there is a benefit to looking at the goats, right? The greatest of all time. Because even if I may not ever play basketball as well as Michael Jordan, he has inspired myself and others to go out and play. He, right, if you look at right, all the kids who walk around with Tom Brady t-shirts or, or, or uh, jerseys, it's because they look up to him. They want to be like him. And while today those may be the celebrities that we look up to, you know, there were, I remember a time where they put out 
just like there were uh, baseball cards or playing cards, there was the Greatest Rabbi's Hall of Fame cards. And people would go out and, and we would actually trade these in school and you would try to collect the set and you'd be like, oh, I want to be like this rabbi. I want to be like that rabbi, right? And, and that was the goal. The goal was to set some of our, our, our rabbis up as role models, which hopefully they should be, not just in their learning, but hopefully in their midot as well, in their, in their personal um, relationships and habits, so that people look up to them and say, oh, I want to be like so-and-so when I grew up because he is the greatest of all time. And so sort of making these grandiose statements, right, these statements of grandeur about a particular rabbi was, I think, another way of trying to set them up and, and help people understand we're not talking about your average run-of-the-mill in some town rabbi not to put those down. We're talking about Ivy League, top of the class, you know, once in, a, once in a generation kind of rabbis. And when you have those, and you say, wow, that's somebody I really want to learn from. That's somebody I really want to emulate. That's somebody I want to be like. Then you get a whole different perspective on them. Okay, but Avi, I assume on these uh, collect them all rabbi collection cards, um, I'm going to guess it had probably some kind of information about the rabbi, maybe, maybe some statistics on, the, uh, on what it is that they brought to the occasion that got them into being one of the greatest of all time. Whereas this really only says they're heavier, we assumed in intellect. So I think part of that is the way that the Mishnah is built, in the sense that the Mishnah only gives us this particular snippet. But the Mishnah is not meant to be learned in a vacuum. It's meant to be learned both with the Mishnah behind it, as well as with the Mishnayot ahead of it. And therefore, if we move forward, or when we move forward, we'll learn more about both Rabbi Elazar ben Herkinus and Rabbi Elazar ben Arach to find out what made them such truly amazing rabbis beyond just their possible intellect and the fact that they were greater or weightier than the rest of the, the Talmidei Chachamim in, in B'nai Israel. Um, and so I think that are trying to take it uh, in a vacuum is really unfair in comparison to looking at a biography of that person. Um, and so I think that is, that is the, the ideal, is that you're learning it in context as opposed to out of context. By the way, I just checked, and you can still get the Rebbe Mitzvah Cards 5-pack available. They run about $1.99 online. So if you're looking for that for your kids, they're still out there. I think this takes us to our question for Around the Shabbos Table.
Who's your favorite child and why? Or, if you don't want to play that game, you can say, what is it about each child that you find to be unique and special and important? Both good. Please let us know which works. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.